in series seven, hear what Christ is saying to you. Uh, we're going to be taking five weeks diving into that. Then we'll be taking a break from that series, and we'll be partnering with Green Bible Church down in Green uh, for three to four weeks, and then we'll come back and round off things uh, just as we get into the fall season. Summer will be all over by then. Oh, but anyway, that's the plan. So it's good to have you with us this morning. And uh, as we talk about uh, the seven churches, uh, we're going to start off by looking at prophecy today. And, uh, you know, I don't want to disappoint you if you came looking for me to tell you who the Antichrist was or is, um, you know, when the Lord's going to come back, like next week at 3 o'clock or, or those kinds of things. I, I'm going to greatly disappoint you. Uh, you're not going to be happy with the, what I reveal to you today. And uh, I hope you're me revealing or thinking about prophecy and thinking about how to dissect it, how to digest it and those kinds of things. I hope your uh, reaction to my reveal won't be like this. Hey, Gunnar, what are we doing? I am going to see what this baby has. Okay. I think it's a boy. Gunner, are you happy? No, it's stupid. <laughs> I knew it was a girl. I knew it. It's another girl. Every time it's girl, 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 girl. It's a little girl. Hey, that's all right. So again, I hope your reaction to what I'm going to reveal to you, what my thinking is when it comes to how to look at prophecy in the Older Testament and the Newer Testament, doesn't get that kind of reaction. And uh, in today's world, these reveals, these baby reveals can be a little bit dangerous. You know, sometimes you hear these stories where someone actually gets hurt when the baby reveal goes wrong. And so I thought I would just show you one more just to kind of, you know, go full circle here and let's take a look at this one. I didn't talk to you about this that much, but uh, Cindy and I are going to be grandparents next month. So, and it's going to be a boy, and uh, we're not crying about that. If it had been a girl, we wouldn't have cried either, but that's a little reveal we've had. We, again, we haven't talked that much about it, so we're very excited. Sometime, basically, I think it's a month from today is the exact day that baby's coming. So, they haven't given us a name, so we know it's Baby Blob. Uh, it's going to be a boy, and uh, I don't know why they won't tell us the name, but it's a new thing, so it's, uh, you know, for right now, that's what's going on. But again, back to this idea of prophecy and what do we do with it, how do we interact with it, how far do we go with it. Uh, we can hear all kinds of things. So first, we're going to start off by just talking about uh, the purpose of the book of Revelation. 
And uh, again, we're going to be looking at that this week, and then we'll get into the seven churches, and uh, hopefully I'll give you some information on how to look at the rest of the book. Um, One of the very helpful tools that you have access to is Right Now Media. And I really encourage you, if there's some things that you want to really study, if you go to Right Now Media, they have all kinds of materials on this. You can dive into this how far you want to go. And Right Now Media is uh, free to our church. Uh, The church pays a fee. And so you have access to that. And they have over 20,000 titles ranging from stuff for little kids all the way up to Bible studies. So uh, please take advantage of that. So if there's something, you know, man, I want to dive a little bit deeper in that. Please take advantage of that. So as we, as we start to look at the book of Revelation, we're going to really focus in on the message that Jesus, God, gives to the seven churches. And we're going to see that uh, here is the Mediterranean. And uh, you can see Italy over there. And you can see where Asia is. And you can see where the seven churches are. Uh, We can go a little deeper with this, and you see there's uh, Crete, and you can see Cyprus, and you see Patmos, and that's where John is writing this. You've got to remember that John is probably in his 90s. He's probably the last disciple still alive. All the other disciples have been martyred for their faith, and basically what that means is they they were killed for for believing in Christ, and, and they wouldn't deny Christ up until the end. And some of these disciples met, well, all of them met with horrible deaths, but some were more horrible than the others. And John is the last one. John was uh, very close to Jesus. And so John is writing this letter to these seven churches uh, under the inspiration of God. Uh, Jesus has come to him in a vision, and you're going to see that in just a few moments. And uh, he writes this to these specific seven churches in seven places and uh, is trying to speak into their life because they are in a difficult world. And their world is very uncertain. Uh, Their world is just very difficult. It's hard to be a Christ follower. And most of us, uh, where we live, it isn't really that hard to be a Christ follower. Sometimes you hear people feeling like they're a little persecuted at work or whatever. Uh, That is really nothing compared to what uh, these folks were going through. And as we look worldwide, and again, this isn't to make you feel guilty or anything like that, uh, there are Christians uh, that are, are facing unbelievable persecution around our world. And so we're very fortunate that, that you are not experiencing that. But there are Christians even today that are losing their lives uh, for that. North Korea, China, um, you know, Arab nations, it just goes on and on and on. And uh, it, it is very serious. And so uh, they were in a hard world. We feel like our world is hard. And again, places around our, our world is very hard. But for the most part, you and I have some freedom, some ability uh, to exercise that freedom that other places don't have, and especially when it comes to, to our faith. So just going a little bit closer, there's where, again, the seven churches are, and there's where uh, John is, and he's uh, writing this letter to these seven churches. And anytime you come to Scripture, there is a contextual in the context of what is going on, there are ideas, there are principles. And so there's a, there's a principle, there's a concept for, for that moment. And what you and I have to do when we're studying scripture is try to figure out what was going on. Because sometimes the context, or a lot of times the context is different than our context. So we have to kind of say, why did they say it? Why did they say it this way? And what did that mean to the person that received that letter in that moment? 
And what's amazing is those folks that receive those letters, they, they basically understood them, except when it comes to prophecy, that's talking to the future. But the basic ideas, they didn't have to unpack these letters. They it would just be very obvious to them because the person writing them is speaking it in their language to them in their moment. They know what things mean, and they just understand that. It's like a thousand years from now, if someone found a letter from you and I, and we wrote, oh, that person was as strong as Superman, they might go, what, did they think there was like a real Superman? Do they think that, you know, or whatever, was there and all that kind of thing? You and I know that it's just a comic uh, figure and then it's a superhero. And so we don't have to figure that out when I say, wow, that person was as strong as Superman. You know what I mean by that. And so there's those kinds of things as we study scripture. And that's why it's good to have a really good commentary. And it's good to have those kinds of sources and uh, find out what the context, what was going on. So we're going to start in uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 1. We're just going to read a few just so you get the idea of it. And then we'll um, kind of move along and talk about, again, what the, the purpose is of the book of Revelation. All right, chapter 1, verse 1. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must happen soon. Listen to that word, must happen soon. Remember, Revelation wasn't written last year. It wasn't written 100 years ago. It was written close to 2,000 years ago. What must happen soon? And Christ sent his angel to show it to his servant, John, who was told everything he saw is the truth that Jesus Christ told him. It is the message of God. Great blessings belong to the person who reads the words of this message from God and to those who hear this message and do what is written in it. So again, you're going to see that there's some of the book of Revelation have uh, instructions of how to live. That's what we're going to talk about when we look at the seven churches. Some of it's prophecy. Some of the things you just become aware of and have an idea about. But you're not going to actually live those kinds of things out until it starts to unfold. Uh, there is not much time left. And that's interesting that uh, John says that because, again, we look at it and go, wow, that was 2,000 years ago. John is writing this to the seven churches. The early church thought Jesus was going to come back like next week, next month, next year, not 2,000 years later. So when we're reading scripture, we need to understand that. And we'll take a little bit look, look at how God looks at time in a few moments. Um, from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. From the one who is, who always won, was, and who is coming. And then just jumping down a little bit. I am John, your fellow believer. We are together in Jesus, and we share these things, suffering, the kingdom, and the patient endurance. I was on the island of Patmos because I was, a fa was faithful to God's message and to the truth of Jesus. And that is basically saying I'm there because I'm in, uh, I've been banished to the Isle of Patmos. This is kind of like a, a holding tank for him. No one likes him. No one likes what he's talking about when it's the message of Christ. So this is what has happened to him. This is where he is. Verse 10, on the Lord's day, the spirit took control of me. So that's probably a Sunday. I heard a loud voice behind me that sounded like a trumpet. It said, write down in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And again, we're not going to have time to dive into every little nuance. And, you know, you may not like this. This may be the most controversial message of the series. But 
a lot of these images, a lot of these ideas, when you hear others unpacking them and saying, this is what's going to happen, this is going to how it's unfold, they are taking an educated guess. It's an educated guess. No one is quite sure. We're going to see in just a few moments some of the Older Testament prophecies Really, until it was unfolding live and Jesus was there, people were not making the connections. They thought something else. And some of those Older Testament uh, prophecies really were designed for the people going through it in that moment. So when you and I read the book of Revelation, we're going to see that there's this imagery and we try to figure out what that is and not really sure about it. Someday, when it's really unfolding live, then we'll be able to make the connections. And again, I'll, I'll give you a couple of verses that give an example of that in a few moments. But back to the purpose of the book. First of all, we see it's hope for all Christ followers during the darkest times. These seven churches were going through some hard times, and John is writing this under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, under the leadership of God, of Jesus Christ. He's writing this to those seven churches because it is difficult. He wants to give them hope. He wants to encourage them. It's just, it's just hard to be a Christian, and so he's writing these things to them to lift them up, for them to have hope. He's also writing some things where they're very practical so they can put them into place in their lives. So that is one of the, in a sense, purposes for this book, for this letter. And, you know, as you and I uh, look at things, uh, look at things and look, try to be encouraged by them, uh, we can just uh, look at First Thessalonians. I occasionally read this when I'm doing a memorial service or a celebration of life service. And uh, this gives a vision, it gives a hope for the future. And uh, we read this, Paul writes this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have said yes to him, those who have trusted him, those who have said yes to him and, uh, and uh, accepted the reality that Christ came and died so they could have forgiveness from their sins and also rose again. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep in him. And we read on, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The bottom line of these prophecies are to encourage one another with these words. To give us hope that God does have a plan for the planet. How all those things unfold? Not completely sure. When I see an imagery, when you see an imagery, I don't know if I would stake a, 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 a line, make a line in the sand and say, this is absolutely how it is going to unfold. I think we're not totally unsure. Um, and if you go back and look at history, some people say, boy, this must be uh, the end times. Look what's happening. And, and that might be true or that might not be true. If you talked with someone who lived during um, World War II, and saw what was going on on the planet. 
and saw all the things in Europe, all the things uh, that, with Japan and all that going on. They were saying, this is the end time. Some people would have said, uh, Hitler is the Antichrist. They would, have, they would have said, it couldn't be anyone else. It's not to take away anything from what a horrible person he was, what an evil man he was. But now, today, we would say, no, that was, some people might say, oh, that was a type of the Antichrist because he was so, uh, you, know, uh, you know, on the opposite of what it means to follow Christ and love others. But, but that definitely he wasn't the Antichrist. So you and I have to be very aware of that. And, and I remember I, I grew up, uh, you know, as a little kid in the 70s, and some of you are going to uh, recognize this. This, this uh, is kind of one of those Christian movies that was like a Christian B movie, you know, kind of done okay, but kind of not done okay. And uh, I can remember when this came out, and it scared me to death. Reports keep coming in from all over the globe, confirming it is true. The event seems to have taken place at the same time all over the world, just about 25 minutes ago. No place to hide. hide, 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 hide a thief in the night. I don't know, some of you remember that movie, I was like 9, 8, 10 years old, and I'm watching this movie, and thanks mom and dad, you gave me nightmares, you know, tonight, it's going to happen tonight, and you know, people were giving dates like 1984, this and that, and, and just, just cranking everybody up, um, you know, I know I'm, I'm a person, I you know, be, believe in a free rapture for the tribulation for those of you who know those terms i'm a millennialist all those kinds of things that christ will come back and reign for a thousand years but but there's some and it's going to sound very unchristian or very unbiblical there's some wiggle room in that stuff there's some interpretation in that and you look at every generation they draw their interpretations and say it's now Remember in the words, uh, uh, John says, it's coming soon, it's happening soon. That was 2,000 years ago that, that John wrote those words, 2,000 years ago. So again, with God, things are different. Uh, some of us uh, remember um, this. Do you remember when this came out popular? I murdered a sick woman in my bag. Hi, sweetheart. Hey. People from all over this plane seem to be friends. I know you all want answers, and believe me, so do I, and I'll do my best to get them. Nicholas Cage was really hard up for work that season when he took that movie role, but, um, you know, it's just, you know, you watch that, and, and the, the series, and there's been millions and i mean hundreds of millions of dollars made on these kinds of, of kinds of things and there's nothing wrong with that on one hand but again this is interpretation this is interpretation so trying to understand that and trying to get our uh, get our minds around that idea so there's a uh, hope for all christians following dark times uh, again therefore encourage one another with these words that god does have a plan as we look at uh, the book of Revelation, and if you look from really chapter 6, chapter 7 on to the end, but there's a lot of interpretation. You read those kinds of things, and I go, I don't know what that really is. And some people say, I absolutely know what it is. But a lot of times those folks who say that 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years later, 
that wasn't the case. And it's not to throw anything on those guys. I appreciate those guys, but I'm not going to get all worked up on those kinds of things. Yes, Christ is coming back. He's going to set the world right. When we celebrate communion, we talk about that. But we just need to understand that uh, these prophecies are to give us hope. Again, go back to the Older Testament, and you see these prophecies and people trying to figure this stuff out, and they had no clue that Jesus was the answer to that. And so when he comes, they're totally surprised by that. They don't accept that. They don't relate that. The same thing can happen with you and I. So what else is the book of Revelation for? And it's for this, help for the Christ followers during the return of Jesus. I really think when Jesus is returning, when the days are short, these things will help them understand. I'm telling you now before it happens, Jesus says, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. It's a recurring theme through scripture that that these prophecies are trying to give God's word credibility as people look at what's unfolding. Jesus did the same thing when he talks with his disciples about his death, burial, resurrection. They're not really getting it, but when it happens, he wants them to be able to understand. It's help for people in that moment, and you really don't know that you're in that moment until you're in that moment. I mean, this is what Jesus did to John the Baptist. I don't know if you remember this story. John the Baptist is now in prison. He's questioning, is Jesus really the Messiah? And this is response that Jesus sends back to John the Baptist. When John was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him. And again, remember, they're cousins, they're related. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? You go into other passages of Scripture, you see John is saying, I'm not fit to untie this guy's sandals. This is the guy. Now he's in prison, and he's wondering about it. He's wondering, are you really, or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you've heard and seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And you go, what does that mean? That's kind of like a riddle, isn't it? No, it isn't a riddle. It's referring back to the passages that talk about the Messiah. So John the Baptist would have heard those. He goes, those are the verses that prophesy a Messiah, and Jesus is doing this, so then he gets it, you see, so he understands it. The Older Testament prophecy pointing for when it's it's happening. New Testament prophecy and some older prophecy pointing to when it's happening. So prophecy, the book of Revelation, is all about helping us, Christ followers at any time, have hope. And it's also to help those Christ followers when they're in those moments to be able to put the pieces together and be able to understand. And see, really, what sometimes happens with us as Christians, uh, we get caught up with information instead of transformation. Say it another way, transformation instead of information. And so it's not just to know all these scriptures. It's not to know all these ideas. It's to actually have these ideas impacting your heart and my heart. Information for information's sake is, is, is really has very little value. Information for transformation has unbelievable value. 
and uh, you've heard me say this a bunch of times it's not original with me most of us who have been following christ for a while are educated way beyond our level of obedience i think i said it in a small group this week yeah I almost don't, this is going to sound like heresy, I almost don't need to hear anything more about the Bible. I just need to do 10% of what I've already heard. I almost don't need any more information. Most of us are educated way beyond our level of obedience. It's not about knowing stuff. It's about transformation. It's about a new heart, a changing heart. It's just not to satisfy our curiosity. It's not, not the goal of it. And sometimes in church world, it's easier to focus on the information, know all these facts, and then kind of not take it to the place where we're being transformed, where we're changing. Knowing information, memorizing information, knowing facts, but actually living, living them, living them is a lot harder. Knowing them is a lot easier. And so we need to, to grow in that area. It needs to be transformation. And not just to ensure our, uh, you know, our curiosity. A very famous verse from uh, 2 Timothy says this. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another. Showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has given us. It's the idea of change change you and i should continue to be going growing and changing i need to look at my life i need to take regular inventory and say what do i know and how is it being integrated into my life my behavior the way i look at my world and that's the hard stuff that is the hard stuff but that's the good stuff jesus didn't come just to inform you to inform you he came to transform me, transform us. So very quickly, and this isn't going to satisfy many of you or all of you, but uh, we're getting into this idea of transformation. What takeaways should we have regarding prophecy? What should we look at? How should we look at this? Uh, Jesus writes this or says this, doesn't write this, and John writes this. You are busy analyzing the scripture, frantically poring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life. Everything you read points to me, yet you still refuse to come to me so I can give you the life you're looking for, eternal life, life with God, beginning now and moving us into the next chapter of life. He's speaking to those that know it all. You're looking frantically, learning all these facts, but you're not really grabbing a hold of it. And this can happen to those of us who have said yes to Christ. We get to a point where we, we stop growing, we stop changing, we stop moving forward, and we keep doing our devotions, keep reading the latest, greatest Christian book that comes out, and it points to life change, but we refuse to have life change. I have to really ask myself, am I any different than I was six months ago? Am I any different than I was a year ago, five years ago? Are we growing? Have we kind of settled into information without transformation? When it comes to prophecy, uh, we have to realize that uh, no one got it right the first time. <laughs> it may seem a little harsh, 
but even the disciples were not getting it right the first time. I mean, Jesus was pretty clear. When you and I read after the event, we go, aha, they weren't getting it. Why weren't they? He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask about it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. Uh, you and I can go look at Scripture and look at uh, uh, Scripture passages that describe um, Jesus as the Lion of Judah, leader, military, strong, powerful. And then we can also see verses that describe Jesus as the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. And, uh, you know, now where we saw what Jesus did is we look in Isaiah and we see that and we go, aha, that's Jesus. Some of us who have strong uh, Jewish friends who, who really believe in the faith, but they haven't become completed Jews. They haven't become Messianic Jews. They haven't accepted Jesus. We look at that Isaiah passages and we say, don't you see Jesus in this? And they don't. That's not to pick on them. They just, they just don't. You see, it's easy to not get all the pieces together uh, when we're looking at that. Luke 18, but they didn't get it. Could make neither heads nor tail of what he was talking about. So a lot of times with this prophecy, first time, second time, third time, they are not getting it. We need to understand that the last days began 2,000 years ago. I can show you passage after passage that says, in the last days this will happen. This is happening in the last days, referring to like now. That's the reason the early church thought Jesus was coming back like next week, like next month. So there are these places where we just don't put it all together. Again, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men and women will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. And that's a description of the early church. That was 2,000 years ago. In the last days. In the last days. Dear friends, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is when I talked about Hitler being a type. This is how we know it is the last hour, the last days, and that's been going on for lots of lots of years. So we have to understand that often God's calendar doesn't match ours and actually never has. Our time frame can be all mixed up. We have to realize that with God, a, a day is like a thousand years. We have this passage in Peter, Second Peter. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's the reason that <laughs> that's a movie that scared me when I was like nine or ten years old. I was waiting for that to happen. It should have actually been a positive thing, not a scary thing, but I was scary as a nine. But God's calendar doesn't match ours. Again, there's something going on here. So just seeking after information for information's sake, drawing lines in the sand that this happening, that just it just it's this is interpretation. 
we could take a look again and look at these comparisons with Abraham and talking about the promised land. And if you read these passages, it seems like it's going to happen like right then. And we know from other scriptures that it takes four or five hundred years for these kinds of things. You see, we need to also remember that Jesus actually meant no one knows the day or the hour. I don't need to interpret that for you. Jesus actually says no man knows the day or the hour. Sometimes I joke with my really uh, aspiring prophetic people. I said, do you think every time somebody goes, I think the Lord's coming back tomorrow, then God goes, oh, no man knows the time of the day. Whoops, that's not happening tomorrow. No, I don't think that's really happening. But, you know, no person knows the time of the day. So how does that even work? But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be aware, we shouldn't have ideas, we shouldn't read these things, but but this shouldn't be like the main meal of our life. It should be living the Christian life now. It should be influencing family, friends, people in our lives for Christ. That's the main meal. This is like the dessert around the edges. And when somebody just eats dessert, I guess this is true. Somebody just eats dessert, that makes gives them a tummy ache, right? If they just eat dessert, they need to eat the main course. And the main course is loving God, loving others. And these prophetic things are like desserts. They're like appetizers on the side. So we need to avoid leaning on speculation. Why would just speculation? It's good speculation. It makes sense speculation, but it is speculation. God, our God, will take care of the hidden things. But the revealed things are our business. It's up to us and our children to attend to all the terms in this revelation. Now, he's not referring to the book of Revelation. He's referring to anything that God reveals, which includes the book of Revelation. But there's the hidden things. God's going to take care of that. The revealed things are the things we need to be conscious of, that we need to be aware of. I shared this with you before. I love what Mark Twain used to say. He used to say, it is not the Bible passages I do not understand that trouble me. It's the Bible passages I do understand trouble me. And the inference is there because then he needs to apply those, integrate those in life. There's no mystery to those. You know, sometimes when you and I get really wrapped up in this, and uh, there's nothing wrong with this at face value, but uh, when we get way wrapped up in this, it makes Christians look irrational. And again, there are certain things that are going to make us out of phase with the way the world thinks, and that's okay. But we don't need to create extra things. We don't need to look for things that will make us look more out of phase with what's going on uh, with the way the world looks. Those digress only breed controversies and debates. They're devoid of power that builds up and strengthens the church in the faith of God. Instead, this whole idea of genealogies and all these kinds of things can cause us just to look irrational. So pick your battles. Pick the ones that are important. Yes, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll die on that sword. That's a real sword. There's no massaging that one way or the other there. But a lot of this other stuff is prophecy. It's mystery. It's a a glimpse of what's coming, but it's not a full glimpse. We go back and look at Daniel. Daniel even... Uh, you know, super wise, a lot of prophecies in the book of Daniel. He talks about not understanding it. Well, Daniel didn't understand it. 
why would I think I would have a better handle on some of this thing than Daniel or John, one of Jesus' closest friends? Sometimes uh, it can often produce uh, more arrogance than godliness, especially in Christian circles. We feel like we have an inner tract of something. We're a little more spiritual because we know some things or we think we know some things and we're leaning into them. And obviously coming across as arrogant is not something that a believer should come across as a Christ follower. You will discover that your pompous pride and Persevere, perverse speech are the ways of the wicked that I taste. And sometimes as Christians, we can be very pompous, very, uh, you know, self-righteous rather than righteous. We're supposed to be righteous, not self-righteous. And uh, it's just an, it's an arrogance. And we got to be very careful about that when it comes to all these issues, especially uh, when it comes to the area of prophecy. So we try to wrap this up, and again, I told you this wasn't going to be a very satisfying. Some of you maybe came up, well, I want to know what Dave thinks about this and thinks about that. Are we really in the end times? Is this, you know, we are. We're in the last times. And there's also this idea of end times. It's when things actually start unfolding, and when things start unfolding, there'll be no doubt. It's going to start. It's going to happen. It's not going to be, it's unfolding, and then it's like six months more, a year more, five years more. It's going to happen. Last days, end times. But for us, as Christ followers, if we're going to really take what the intention was for us until we discover that it's in motion right now, what we take away from the book of Revelation and other prophecies is hope that God has a plan. And we want to make sure that we don't get distracted by all those things, looking over there and trying to figure that all out, and we stop looking inside our hearts under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So our bottom line is this. We tend to miss the obvious when we focus on the obscure. We tend to miss the obvious when we focus on the obscure. And I know in my life, sometimes that's a defense mechanism. I get bogged down in something else, so I don't really have to look at what God's really laying on my heart. So I avoid making those changes that I need to make. I'm sure that never happens to you. It happens to me. So next week, we're going to start looking at these churches and see what Jesus says to them in the context of what was going on in their world. And then we will take the timeless truth and to apply it to the here and now. And when we apply that timeless truth, that's either going to confirm, wow, I'm moving in the right direction, or it's going to say, hey, wait a minute, I've got some heart work to do. And, and I like doing heart work on the other side of it, so I've got to start doing the heart work that God is leading me to do. I don't want to get tied up in the obscure, in the sideways energy kinds of things when it comes to my spiritual life, my walk with God. I want to see the obvious and apply it and integrate it into my life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for your revelation. We thank you that we have this Bible with lots of books, lots of letters, and we're thankful that even though lots of it is thousands of years old, it can speak to our hearts, that you can use it, it can change us. We go back to that uh, Timothy passage, we thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to grow in understanding how to incorporate it into our lives. Father, we should be the most hopeful people in any time especially in days of uncertainty, because we know that you have a plan and that it includes us. 
we thank you for that. If there's anyone here this morning who has never said yes to you, has never placed their trust in the gift of your son, we ask that even in this moment, they would be speaking to you and saying, Lord, I, I need you in my life. I accept, uh, I welcome forgiveness of sin. I thank you for the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want that applied to my life so I can begin following you. And so I pray if there's a person in that place, today would be the day that they would simply say yes to you. And for the rest of us, we would continue to say yes to you daily and sometimes hourly and sometimes every few minutes as we follow your lead. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name.